all of us. Everyone at the state's academic medical center. All working together to deliver complete care now and for generations to come. All over the state, including hospital and clinic locations from the Delta to the Gulf Coast. All for one reason, you. The University of Mississippi Medical Center. All for your health. This podcast is a local production of Mississippi Public Broadcasting and depends on the support of listeners like you. If you can, please donate today at mpbonline.org. And thanks. This is Southern Remedy on MPB Think Radio. I'm Dr. Jimmy Stewart, Professor of Internal Medicine and Pediatrics at the University of Mississippi Medical Center. We'll be taking your calls this hour about any kind of health care question that you might have, or maybe it's a comment about somebody else uh, calling in, or uh, maybe just a comment about a previous program. We would love to hear from you this morning. You can reach us by calling 1-877-MPB-RING. That's 1-877-672-7464. Or if you can't call this morning, you can always email us at remedy at mpbonline.org. Hope everybody is having a great morning this morning. It's a little uh, nasty out there in uh, pretty much all areas of Mississippi. A lot of rain. Um, got a little respite there for four or five days, but uh, back to sort of the spring slosh, as I like to call it. Um but I hope everybody is taking precautions. Uh, keep in mind the water in creeks and uh, lots of other areas, rivers, uh, it's actually up still from last week's rain. So you want to be careful about that. Any kind of standing water, be careful driving through it. Uh, we do encourage you to uh, check out our website at uh, mpbonline.org. There you can find access to past programs. We do archive those. Just search for Southern Remedy for this program. Uh, and others, and you can go back and uh, catch what you missed uh, if you had to pop out of a program. So I uh, do want to encourage people to also to call in early. We oftentimes have a little bit more time in the first part of the hour uh, as opposed to the last part of the hour, and I hate cutting people off at the last, uh, at the last 10, 15 minutes just uh, because of time issues. Speaking of, let's go to our first caller. I believe we have Rachel from Utica. Good morning, Rachel. Thank you for calling. What's your question this morning? Hi. Uh, I'm from Eupora, by the way. Oh, I'm sorry. Um, Eupora. Uh-huh. Uh, Dr. Jimmy, I don't have a thyroid. I take 100 micrograms of levothyroxine every morning. And my question is, do I still need iodine to utilize those hormones yeah great question so for uh, you you seem to know already a, about your illness by the way that is a uh, something that i advocate for everybody um it, the more you know about what kind of chronic um medical problems that you have the better off you're going to be long term um but uh yeah th- the thyroid gland it's in the front part of the neck uh right over your vocal cords on either side it sort of looks like a butterfly um, and it is a small gland, but it controls sort of your energy levels and the metabolism of all the different systems in your body. So it produces a hormone uh, in stimulation uh, in, as a signal, a signal from the brain that actually goes to it uh, as a separate hormone. And then based on that, it produces uh, two uh, very important hormones 
T3 and T4, sort of a uh, abbreviation of those. And for whatever reason, sometimes you can have your thyroid removed if it's overactive or you might have it ablated radioactively. Um, but for whatever reason, at that point, you need external thyroid hormone. So that is a, a pill, a medication that you take every day. And uh, based on what you need, there's ways to, to monitor that with some blood work um, about every three, three to six months usually uh, to get it at the right levels. Based on that, you determine what your level is. So your, your question about iodine, iodine is one of those substances that is required as sort of a cofactor for different hormones and proteins in our body to do what they normally do. Thankfully, you don't need a whole lot. So if you're eating, you know, healthy and you're, uh, you know, getting sort of a broad range of foods in your diet, there's really no uh, reason to uh, have to supplement with iodine for what you're taking. Uh, your body just, again, it requires very little amounts of it. And actually, in the past, people had goiters. So goiters would be where you're not getting enough iodine to make that hormone uh, that uh, thyroxin, and basically your your thyroid gets huge. So in the past, you may have seen people that are pictures of this, where their thyroid would get so big, it would be this giant mass on the front of their neck. And uh, you could treat that if that was the cause from uh, of iodine deficiency with giving them iodine. So as a public health measure, uh, uh, you know, decades ago, uh, developed countries started putting iodine in salt. So that's the reason why we have iodinized salt is because salt is ubiquitous. Most people use that in cooking for all kinds of different things. And again, you don't need that much of it. So putting small amounts of iodine in salt solved a lot of those problems with iodine deficiency causing goiters. But really, you know, where we live in Mississippi, unless you have a very extreme diet, uh, there's really no need to, you know, there's really no need to supplement that. Okay. Now, uh, I still, a uh, question lingers. Uh, so why do I need iodine if I don't have a uh, thyroid? It was ablated some years back. Uh, do, do I still need iodine in my diet? Yeah, and I get what you're, I see where you're getting at. So iodine is used to make that hormone in the thyroid gland working normally. So since you're getting, you know, levothyroxine, you really don't need it at all. But um, but uh, it's you're going to get some anyway. I mean, it, uh -huh. you know, sort of a, a moot point because it's you're going to get some in your diet. So it's uh, uh -huh. you shouldn't have to supplement that or anything like that. Okay, great. Well, Thank you so much. Oh, you're welcome. You're welcome. Thank you for calling. We appreciate your call. This is Southern Remedy. Dr. Jimmy with you this morning. The number to call is 1-877-MPB-RING. That's 1-877-672-7464. So most everybody, I think, has heard about uh, the temporary halt of uh, distribution of the Johnson Johnson one-dose COVID vaccine due to some concerns over venous thromboembolism uh, in the venous sinuses in the head. So, uh, and again, if you look at the scope of numbers with over 6 million people, 6 million doses of Johnson & Johnson that have been given, it's a very small percentage of people, only about six people 
um, who have developed this. But it goes to show you so that the intents, you know, people say all the time, well, this hasn't been proven. What if there's problems with it? Um, how are we going to know? Uh, we know if you just think about that, six people out of six million plus, um, and they have halted that to look at it further to make sure that's not a significant risk to the rest of the population. Still, that's not a, you know, people try to sometimes they're like, well, see, we can't take any of the vaccines. Pfizer, Moderna, those still have very small side effects, uh, certainly nothing like uh, like uh, venous thromboembolism, uh, which is a relatively rare occurrence. It's about one in 100,000 people. That's the, the normal prevalence of that. But when it shows up a little bit higher in a vaccine or a medication because of the ongoing um, the ongoing monitoring that we have with those, um, that's that's what happens. So you basically would stop it and then you would um, you would uh, look at it further. So that's what they're doing right now is looking at the data to try to figure out if that's a true uh, increase in the background from the background of uh, venous thromboembolism uh, and the cerebral sinuses. So so that's uh, that's what's going on with that. Again, there's two other uh, two other vaccines that are fine. Of course, uh, you have to get two doses of those, uh, but those are still available uh, for anybody who, who needs those down to 16 with Pfizer, 18 with, uh, with Moderna right now, they're actually looking at 12, uh, to that 12, 12 years old to 16 year old age range with Pfizer. Let's go to Julia from Carthage. Good morning, Julia. Thank you for calling this morning. Okay. Yeah. So here's another endocrine problem. So, sure. uh, as a result of, of, uh, thyroid, uh, cancer, um, I had a right lobectomy, uh, but uh, the cancer metastasized. So I had to go back and have an isthmusectomy and a left lobectomy, but the cancer had also wrapped around my parathyroid gland. So they, uh-huh. so they were removed. So now, as you can imagine, uh, well, as my otolaryngologist told me, that your quality of life will be greatly affected, which uh, I have found out. Uh, so I'm not only taking Synthroid, but also um, Slow Magnesium and Oscal uh, Plus D, and uh, because you know, the parathyroid gland controls the production of all those minerals. Now, here's my a great problem. For years, uh, I have had to fight with my insurance company because um, they don't want to pay for the the slow mag and the Oscal. And you know, I take six uh, uh, Oscals a day and five uh, slow mags and. I have tried to explain to them that I'm not taking them for supplements. I'm taking them for replacement. Uh, so is there any way uh, that um, there can be some kind of uh, intervention uh, as far as the formulary is concerned with Medicare? I'm now on Medicare. When I had cancer, that was before I became old enough to get Medicare, but they just simply refuse to pay for the magnesium and the uh, calcium. And I'm sorry to make this so long, but 
Mm. No, it's it, as endocrine problems go, uh, they're always complicated um, because of the systems, and it's a hard thing to understand. But um, yeah, that so getting the calcium and magnesium, that's one of the problems we have sometimes. And you know, the parent, as you mentioned, the parathyroid hormones, the main thing that they regulate is calcium. Magnesium interacts with that as well, though. Uh, but calcium levels in the body you need for lots of different things, for normal neurologic function, for muscle function, and it has to be at a certain level. So too high calcium can cause problems, too low calcium can cause problems. Unlike the thyroid, if you take the whole thing out, it's fairly easy to get on a, a replacement hormone level that can, can uh, do the same thing that your, your normal thyroid was doing. But... With the parathyroid hormone, uh, parathyroid glands, if they if you remove all of those, and there's four uh, that are really right up next to, or or even sometimes inside the thyroid gland, in that little butterfly configuration, one at each at each wing, if you want to think of it that way. So uh, you're right. You do have to take uh, you know calcium, uh, vitamin D. Uh, and magnesium in some in some instances. There's also a couple of other medications that have been used to to regulate that and to, to try to prevent some of the uh, problems with particularly low calcium levels. But um, insurance companies, yeah. So, you know, Medicare for medications, uh, you're going to have a Part D supplement with that. So Medicare, that's under Medicare, Part D as in dog. So that then those are all different. So that's part of the, the problem with from the physician standpoint and the patient standpoint is figuring out which one of those Part D programs will pay for what. And if you run into a situation like this where they're just they're not looking at the whole situation, they're just looking at what you're taking. So if you're just taking magnesium, the slow mag and the calcium, they're going to say, well, she could just, you know, get that over the counter, which is true. But I would if they haven't already, there's something called a prior auth authorization form. Uh, and a lot of times you can just do this online now, or it can just take a phone call. Um, so the prior authorization is basically a way to prove to the insurance company that you really need that medication or, um, or you know, what, whatever you're taking. Um, and the physician would need to do that. So I would, I would suggest, you know, ask your endocrinologist if they haven't already to try to do that. If they've done that and that's denied, the next step, and that's basically a paper form and an electronic form that you fill out. If that's I've denied, done that. yeah. Okay, good. Mm -hmm. So, have they done a peer-to-peer -peer phone call on that? Do um, you know if they've done that? I don't know. So, okay. So, peer-to-peer -peer is your physician, your endocrinologist, actually uh -huh. picking up the phone and calling the insurance company representative. So, it's called a peer-to-peer -peer call. So, a peer-to-peer -peer is you're basically getting on, on the phone with somebody and saying, these are the reasons why we think you ought to pay for this. And a lot of times that can solve the problem, just giving the background. Even if you write it out, there's algorithms that the people at the insurance company go through, and they still may not understand the exact reasons why you need that. So if your mm -hmm. endocrinologist has not done that, I would I would try doing that. And then the last step is just talking to your pharmacist. If it's a big you know, because of the volume probably of what you're taking, uh, yeah. see if they can just give you a dis see if they can give you a discount on that. You know, talking with them sometimes they can do that, or shop around for different pharmacies. Sometimes they can cut you a price. Well, I guess 
my aim is to um, cause, and maybe this is uh, um, beyond my scope of, of, of what I can do, but I, I just want the insurance companies to know that that uh, magnesium and D and um, calcium at these levels are not supplementary, that they are right. replacement, that our bodies, those of us who suffer these conditions, our bodies cannot produce these substances anymore. And if we were without them, we would die. Uh, and, right, right. Uh, and... I, I, I guess that's my <laughs> my the aim of what I'm trying to do here. Uh, but yeah, well, yeah, and and get get your pharmacist wherever you get your medication to talk to your endocrinologist and mention those two. Mm-hmm. You know, if they've already done the prior authorization, I would see if they can do a peer to peer. So call your endocrinologist, see if they can do that, and then talk to your pharmacist to see if they may can cut you a deal on the price. All right, thank you. Yes, ma'am. Thank you for calling. Uh, yeah, endocrinology is very uh, a serpiginous route of information of, uh, of trying to figure that out. And it's not uh, something that a lot of people, you know, may just look at the medications you're taking and think, well, why are they taking that? You know, we're not going to pay for that. So uh, unfortunately, picking up that, that phone and calling uh, the company doing a peer-to-peer takes some time. I've been on hold for 45 minutes with an insurance company before that's uh you know long periods of time obviously where you're listening to a lot of elevator music i'm dr jimmy stewart thanks for listening to the original southern remedy podcast you can get your medical question answered by sending an email to remedy at mpbonline.org for a regular dose of medical information subscribe to the podcast using your favorite podcasting app The doctor is always in on the original Southern Remedy. I'm Allison Walker, the lady auto mechanic, host of AutoCorrect. If you're enjoying this podcast, try my podcast, AutoCorrect. We help steer you in the right direction with your car problems. Find me on any podcast platform or at autocorrect.mpbonline.org. This is an MPB Think Radio podcast. This is Southern Remedy on MPB Think Radio. Dr. Jimmy with you this morning answering your questions about any kind of Healthcare issue that you might have. Got a couple of endocrine questions this morning about different endocrine problems. Always uh, a little bit something to uh, to delve into. Uh, I believe we have, is it David in, uh, no, sorry, John in Tennessee. Good morning, yes. John. Thank you for your call. What's your question this morning? Uh, I was diagnosed with uh, hernia the other day from my doctor, and I have slight, slight swelling. And I asked him, should I need an operation? He said, no, at your age, I wouldn't recommend it. So uh, could you make a comment about that, please? Yeah, do you mind me asking how old you are? I'm 80. Okay. Uh, And do you have other medical problems? Uh, uh, 
Well, I take a pill for high blood pressure. Okay. Yeah, and, uh, so this is, a, this is a common question about surgeries. This would be what we call an, an elective surgery. In other words, it's a surgery that's not emergent. We don't have to fix a broken bone or anything like that. It's basically uh, a fairly simple operation that usually takes less than an hour to perform. Now, every time you have surgery, there is some risk. Though. There's risk from the surgery itself. There's risk from anesthesia. And if, it's, if the risk of what you have is not that high, then your surgeon is probably saying, you know, it's probably not worth it to get surgery to fix this if it's not going to cause any problems. And usually a hernia, and I'm guessing this is an inguinal hernia down in your groin, um, yes. that is a, a weakness in the abdominal wall um, that causes a bulging out that's basically abdominal contents. People can notice that as a, as a, a uh, bulge that they can feel. Uh, sometimes see it's common that you can see it sort of bulge out a little bit when you cough or laugh uh, or if you're sitting up. So most of the time that doesn't cause any problems. If it's, if it's you know, size-wise, if it's, if it's fairly large, then you, you don't have as much of a risk of, uh, of what we call incarceration. So incarceration just means that you would have a, a loop of bowel that gets caught in that weakness in that wall and uh, gets sort of kinked off. And that can be bad. Um, but if they're saying that it's probably not, you know, that big a risk, then I think you're probably fine to not have the surgery uh, unless you had problems. And the things to watch out for would be a, you know, it's probably a little tender in that area uh, to no pain at all. But if you had intense pain there or if you developed uh, intense nausea and vomiting or blood in your stool, at that point, you would want to, you know, go to the emergency room and they may consider doing emergency surgery at that point. But it sounds like this would be an elective procedure. And, uh, you know, if your risk of uh, anesthesia and surgery uh, is deemed high enough, then they're probably thinking, well, this is probably okay to just watch for right now. Well, it's just uh, a slight swelling and it's occasional and I don't have any pain with it. Uh, and uh, my question was, too, uh, um, will it, does it hurt for me to do exercise? Because I do a lot of leg lifts and stuff like that. No, it, that's, that should be fine. It, again, it's going to bulge out a little bit when you, uh, Valsalva, when you sort of uh, bear down a little bit, or if you're you know, lifting your leg up, it may bulge out a little bit. As long as it's not hurting and it's not un that uncomfortable, I would keep doing that. And that's important, particularly at your age, to stay, uh, you know, to have good muscle tone. It helps with balance um, with, uh, you know, should you get off balance. So, yeah, I would continue to do those exercises. That shouldn't impact that at all. Well, thank you. That sounds, that sounds good. All right. Thank you for calling, John. Let's go to David from Madison. Good morning, David. Good morning. What's your question this morning? Uh, my question is this. I have a slightly enlarged aorta, and I'm taking beta blockers and blood pressure medicines for that. Are there any type foods that may help with this? It's been slightly enlarged the same size for 10 years. Uh, it, are, are, is there any type of vitamin or mineral? I'd, I'd love to get off all these pills. Yeah, unfortunately, David, that there's not really anything that you could take diet-wise. Now, I will say this. it is I would advocate that you do the DASH diet. That's the dietary approaches to stop hypertension. 
You can Google that online. You can go to the American Heart Association. They have a lot of information about the DASH diet. It's a blood pressure diet. Um, if you're on blood pressure medication and you really, really, really stick to the DASH diet, uh, combined with low sodium, uh, low salt in your diet, then you may have a good chance of de-escalating your, what you're taking, either taking less medication dose-wise or coming off of it. That being said, though, that's not, you know, totally a replacement for the medications um, if, if your aorta is enlarged. So the aorta is the, the largest um, artery coming off of uh, your um, largest artery that comes off of your heart to the rest of the body. And basically, uh, it supplies blood flow to the rest of the body. And it can be, uh, if it's enlarged in one place, that causes a lot of turbulent blood flow, and that can cause a clot. Uh, sometimes, depending on where it is, it can cause what's called a dissection in the, in the muscular wall of that artery. And the harder your arteries are on the inside with plaque, the more likely it is to have problems at that wide point. Uh, thankfully, there's a lot of ways to treat this, and that's they're probably either following you with a CT scan or an ultrasound yearly or every two years right now. And if it's stable for 10 years, that's great news. Um, you may live the rest of your life and not have any problems with that. If there is a problem, a lot of times they can stent those rather than doing the big surgeries of the, what they used to do with the, in the past. But the DASH diet would help. Uh, it's a heart-healthy diet. It would definitely help with the, with the hypertension. The reason you're on the beta blocker is two reasons. One, from a blood pressure standpoint. But if you've got a widened aorta, you try to decrease the shear forces to that. So the higher your blood pressure is, the more of a shear force against that wall and more damage over time. Um, any plumber will tell you if you don't have laminar flow, that's equal flow down a pipe, uh, or a you know, and, and you've got a blockage or you have a, a dilation, a, an enlargement of that. Over time, you're going to get build up, and you're going to have irregular flow there, and you're going to have some problems. And the higher the pressure within that system, the more likely that that is the point where the weakness is going to be if it, if it ruptured. So you definitely don't want to do that. If you're not around a hospital and you have an aortic rupture, you are not going to live. Um, so I would, if you haven't already, check out the DASH diet, do that. There's not really a supplement to take um, that's going to, I don't care what anybody says, there's no evidence that a supplement is going to reverse this. But the, the types of, of foods and the types of things in those foods in the DASH diet is, has been shown to both decrease blood pressure and be heart healthy. So that's the thing I would land on. I'm Dr. Jimmy Stewart. Thanks for listening to the original Southern Remedy podcast. You can get your medical question answered by sending an email to remedy at mpbonline.org. For a regular dose of medical information, subscribe to the podcast using your favorite podcasting app. The doctor is always in on the original Southern Remedy. Join us each week for Everyday Tech on MPB Think Radio. We have an IT expert, a computer repair ace, and we troubleshoot your problems on the phones as well. Everyday Tech, Wednesdays at 10 on MPB Think Radio. Download the podcast now or listen on YouTube on the MPB Think Radio channel. This is an MPB Think Radio podcast. 
This is Southern Remedy on MPB Think Radio. Dr. Jimmy with you this morning, answering your questions or uh, receiving comments about any kind of health care issues that you may be having. Could be for yourself, could be for someone else. Maybe it's a question about medications. We've covered a lot of things this morning about several different medical conditions and their treatment and lots of different, uh, even access to those uh, medications or treatment. So now is your chance to get some free medical advice or to point you in the right direction of that. You can reach us this morning at one eight seven seven mpb ring That's one eight seven seven six seven two seven four six four. Or you can send an email to remedy at mpbonline.org. Um, I think everybody, you know, there's lots of questions out there about when can you go back to the physician. We had um, a lot of telehealth visits, and uh, pretty much I think a, a lot of people have experienced that, particularly if you were at a higher risk and wanted to stay home but still see your physician about things. Thankfully, we were already well-positioned, I think, in the state to do that. i um, been talking to you, just finished up a meeting nationally yesterday with American Medical Association uh, that focused on education, but it gave us an opportunity to talk to each other nationwide, and it's very interesting uh, just to see hear the differences in, in from state to state about those, um, how we approach patient care. Um, don't be, you know, I'll, don't be afraid to reach out to your physician, though. You know, the suspension of some services that had to happen, elective surgeries is a good example of that. As our previous caller mentioned, uh, you know, hernia surgery, things like that were postponed, particularly if they had to stay overnight just because of the risk. Now that our background numbers in uh, our state, at least, are lower, certainly we're able to, to provide the, the medical services and care that we uh, could not do or had to postpone. So uh, if you haven't received a call to follow up on those types of things, please go ahead and call your, your physician. Uh, it's always a great thing to uh, get some information from them, from their from their teams, our Nurses in our clinic are uh, outstanding at, at giving out information. We even have a clinical pharmacist that uh, that does that. So it's always a good idea to, to call and see what your options are. The Internet's great. It has a lot of good information, but uh, also has some information not so good. Um, and uh, you really need to know what's true, what's not true out there, because you could just about find any kind of information, good or bad, that you want to if you're looking for some kind of you know, if you want to eat dirt for a medical condition, there's probably a website out there that says, yes, it cures everything. I'm not advocating eating dirt, by the way. This is Southern Remedy. The number to call is one eight seven seven mpb ring That's one eight one eight. sorry, one eight seven seven six seven two seven four six four. 672 You know, we had a couple of questions about what can you do from a supplement standpoint, and we get this a lot. Um, and as you could you know, those of you who listen to me know I'm a huge advocate from eat, for eating healthy. Um, it's There's something about the substances that are in foods. For instance, uh, you know, a diet high in calcium, magnesium, potassium, low in sodium. Uh, those are all very protective from a heart standpoint and some cancers as well. But uh, if you tease those individual uh, vitamins and minerals out of those diets and just say, well, you know, if calcium is important in the foods that you eat, why don't I just take more calcium? And there may be some good reasons for to do that. If you have osteoporosis or if you have uh, osteopenia, thinning of the bones, then your physician may want you doing that. 
But as far as from a heart standpoint, it just doesn't work when you tease those things out. There's something about it being in the foods and the combination of foods. And I did mention the DASH diet, the dietary approaches to stop hypertension, which is really a Mediterranean type diet. So it's really rich in fruits and vegetables. Um, as, uh, as Dr. DeShazo used to say, lots of color on your plate, um, lots of different uh, bright greens and yellows and reds. And if you do eat meat with that, it doesn't have a lot of meat. You're not going to have meat necessarily at every meal, but it tends to lean towards uh, those lean meats of fish uh, and and, uh, chicken, um, seafood also. Um, I usually tell people eat things that swim or fly. That's preferred. Sorry uh, for everybody else who likes stuff out there. I like a good steak every once in a while, too. But um, those kinds of things uh, are a little bit better. And then the fat content tends to be from plant sources. So olive oils, nuts are the really big uh, fat uh, components of those diets. And not a whole lot of that, obviously. Uh, And then finally, sweets are very little. Um, So if you're a sweet uh, addict like me, particularly chocolate, you want to sort of cut back on that and process sugar. So if you eat a diet like that, you actually can cut your risk of heart disease quite a bit and combine that with some exercise, you're really going to help ward off hypertension, diabetes, those kinds of things um, uh, by what you eat. So you are what you eat. Let's go to Roberta in Meridian. I believe that's who's on the line. Good morning, Roberta. Oh, did we lose you? Dr. Jimmy? Yes. Okay. I'm sorry, Robert. Robert, yes, hey. Okay, sorry. Uh, No problem. I'm a 77-year-old man who found out back in the 60s as a result of a tetanus shot that I'm allergic to two serums, one called bovine and another called, uh, uh, and the other is a horse serum, cow serum and horse serum. Every time I've been taken into a hospital or emergency, Part of the history asks, what are you allergic to? And no one in this, at this many years later, since the 1960s, seems to have heard of horse serum or cow serum. My question is, basically, what is the procedure when checking whether someone is allergic to something that potentially, if they're given the, the, the product, the chemistry, the, the med, might have an adverse effect. What is the procedure in in checking by the facility to make sure that, okay, you know, here's something so old, no one even knows what this is. How do we make sure that we don't give this guy something that maybe has any connection to those two uh, allergic uh, pieces? Yeah, great question, Robert. So, um, yeah, those are, you know, Bovine and horse serum were used uh, for a number of things. Vaccination uh, development was one of those. Um, and the reason nobody really knows about it much anymore is because we have other ways of doing that that doesn't use those two things. So, um, so really, we don't have that a whole lot. There are some, some things like immunoglobulins that sometimes you can see that, but most of the time those are either made in a lab or they're immunoglobulins or antibodies that are pulled from humans. But back to your question about how do we check? How do we, you know, safety is the first tenant of good medicine. We do no harm. So uh, allergies are a big one. Um, The first step, and this sounds incredibly simple, 
but it really um, is is a one of the steps that we take to try to eliminate any potential allergic reactions to either medications or a substance in medications is to ask that question. So if you go in the hospital or you go to the, the physician's office, they're going to ask you that. They should ask you that. They're probably going to ask you that multiple times by multiple people. So they're going to say, are you allergic to anything? And then based on what you say, we qualify that. So if you say, for instance, penicillin, then I would ask, okay, what was your reaction to penicillin? If you don't know, we'll put that in there uh, sort of as a question mark. But if you did need that, if you needed penicillin for some reason or you needed some other medication that you were allergic to, then there's a couple of different things. Most of the time we have many, many different alternatives so that you're not uh, backed into a wall unless you're one of, one of these people who have tons and tons of actual allergies to things. Um, but then you basically, there are different computer programs, databases I've got one on my phone that I can put certain substances in there. And, uh, like, if I want to put you on a medication and I put down that you're allergic to bovine serum, then it'll tell me what all medications or what all treatments have bovine serum as an ingredient. So it's a nice way to to search for that. Um, Our electronic medical record, if we have an allergy that's in there and then we order something that has a component of it, it automatically has a warning message that pops up. So that's another layer of protection that comes up with electronic medical records that um, help uh, to not give that to patients. But if you really need it, there's a process called desensitization. And most people will say, well, can't you just check for that allergy? Well, it's not that simple. And those tests aren't 100% correct. So taking a blood sample and testing for different things, it's not exactly like a pollen test or a prick test. Um, uh, for allergies that you would think of going to your allergist. You can test for some things, but the best information of is a documented uh, instance where you had an allergic reaction. And I should say here, too, that doesn't mean adverse reactions. In other words, if you had vaccines, for instance, if you had a little bit of redness at the site, that doesn't mean that you had a, a true allergy to that. That means you had a local reaction to that. Or if you got really tired after taking a medication. That's not a, necessarily an allergy to it. That is uh, an adverse side effect from it. So that's important. That doesn't mean that you can't ever take that. A lot of people say, well, Benadryl makes me sleepy. I'm allergic to it. Uh, or morphine, I'm allergic to it because it makes me itch. Those are side effects with those medications, but they're not a true allergy. So if you really needed them, you could take those. But desensitization would be if you really needed something, there's there for some medications, particularly antibiotics, there is a way to sort of trick the body's immune system into not recognizing that to where you would have an allergy to it if you really need it. That's a it's a process though, and usually you have to sort of plan that out and it's not something that you can do in an emergency situation. So know your allergies though, because people are gonna ask you those questions and then the databases that we have in different search Uh, tools that we have to look for those components and some of the things that a a physician would give you. That's, That's really sort of built in right now. But excellent question. I'm Dr. Jimmy Stewart. Thanks for listening to the original Southern Remedy podcast. You can get your medical question answered by sending an email to remedy at mpbonline.org. For a regular dose of medical information, subscribe to the podcast using your favorite podcasting app. 
the doctor is always in on the original Southern Remedy. Hey, this is Larry Morrissey with the Mississippi Arts Commission. I'm one of the hosts of the Mississippi Arts Hour, the arts interview show on Think Radio. We talk with visual artists, musicians, writers, as well as people who help bring the arts to their communities. We hear about how each artist learned their craft and get some insight into their creative process. You can hear the Arts Hour every Sunday at 5 p.m. on Think Radio, or listen anytime by subscribing to the show through your favorite podcasting app. This is an MPB Think Radio podcast. This is Southern Remedy on MPB Think Think Radio. Dr. Jimmy with you this morning answering your questions or uh, getting your comments about different things um, about your health or the health of somebody uh, near and dear to you. I believe we have a caller from Jackson um, on the line. Good good morning. What's your name? Is this Gene? Hey, Gene. Okay. We got you loud and clear. Thank you for calling. Okay, good. Uh, First of all, good morning. Uh, I have a question concerning uh, whole milk compared to 1% or 2% milk. Uh, what is the harm in the whole in using whole milk? And uh, I'm taking a low-dose uh, blood pressure medicine. Yeah. Uh, whole milk, uh, basically it's the amount of fat in it. So because of the excess fat that we have in our diets, mm-hmm really depends on how much you drink. Honestly, if you drink one glass of, you know, eight ounces of milk a day, it's probably not going to be that much of a, of a component of your diet, and whole milk's just fine. Um, if you drink a lot of it, though, it might be a lot more fat in your diet. Uh, so the 1% or 2% are just ways to decrease that amount of fat in different ways. Um, but if, you know, if you like, if you like whole milk, uh, and you're just drinking one glass, it's probably not going to contribute to it that much. As far as interaction directly with high blood pressure, not a big effect with that. Again, uh, low-fat diet, particularly saturated fats, those are mainly animal fats um, or fats that are, that are solid at room temperature. Um, those are going to be some of the things that you would want to avoid um, because they can contribute to that blood pressure staying up. And I've had, you know, I, everybody thinks doctors just like to add medications. You know, I've had a lot of success with my patients with after they, if they were able to change things over and maybe make some small or big changes in their diet and exercise, they've been able to decrease the amount of medications they're on or maybe even come off a of medication. So we have a big party and celebrate uh, when that happens in the, in our office. But that's, you know, that's, that's sort of the thing to do. And, um, I, but also I'm very realistic about it. if you just love a glass of milk, um, you know, four, six ounces, eight ounces once a day, that's probably not going to be a big component if you're eating healthy otherwise. So, uh, I'd say, Hey, go ahead and enjoy that. And you need the calcium. That's actually good for you. Oh, thank you. I, I really, it just, uh, like I use it in coffee because it's, it's rather than use cream, I just use the milk and the coffee. Yeah, Gene, I think go ahead and put that milk in your coffee and have it. Dr. Jimmy has given you permission. Thank you, sir. All right. Have a good day. 
This is uh, Southern Remedy, Dr. Jimmy with you this morning, uh, talking about all kinds of good stuff. Got about four minutes left if somebody wants to slip in a call. Uh, if not, we'll talk about a couple other things. Um, you know, with uh, spring allergies at, at their highest, you want to sort of be careful about uh, what's going on with uh, with how you're exposing yourself. Of course, a lot more people outside, thankfully. I think that's one of the, been the, one of the positives here in the South about COVID. Again, as I was talking to people, uh, some of my colleagues up north, uh, at the meeting yesterday, last two days, uh, virtually, um, you know, not a lot of, uh, not a lot of opportunity to do that depending on where you li- you live. That's why one of the reasons why I live in the South is I love the weather love to be able to do that year round, but, uh, plan accordingly. Um, and don't forget about all the safety things, uh, concerns that you might have in your yard. Uh, if you speaking of different types of allergies, if you're allergic to, bees, wasp, or any of those flying insects, you want to make sure that, uh, particularly if it's a severe reaction, that you want to have um, an EpiPen <clears throat> that you can get from your physician with you and accessible. Um, and, you know, that a lot of people will still have a lot of severe allergic reactions and have bad outcomes from that. Um, also for your kids, you know, an EpiPen Junior is another thing that you can get. Um, we had a lot of problems with that several years ago with access to that, but it's a little bit better now from the pharmacy. So that's something that you want to stock up on, make sure that you have available, because I've been seeing the bees uh, working different stuff out there, and uh, it's good to see them. Um, but uh, also, uh, if you're out in the sun, uh, even with the weather a little bit cooler and all the rain that we've had, don't forget that sunburns can be an issue. Uh, get that sunblock stocked up on right now so that uh, you don't have uh, that nasty sunburn or chronic uh, damage to your skin. And, um, and think about, you know, dehydration if you're going to be out there a long period of time. Um, I think probably, I think I can't remember if it was, uh, I think it was Sunday, Saturday or Sunday, probably was one of the most perfect days weather-wise that I've, uh, I can remember in, uh, in months. And uh, but even then, if you're going to be out for long periods of time, it can be a little bit deceptive about how much um, how much fluids that you lose, particularly if you're sweating a good bit. But even if you don't feel it, you could be um, you could be a little bit dehydrated. So keep all that in mind. Um, all those critters that are waking up too out there in the yard, lots of snakes and those kinds of things. Just uh, learn to stay away from uh, each one of those that you can and. Uh, Try to be as safe as you can as we get into enjoying some of this uh, great weather that we have. And, uh, and again, I would, uh, if you've been sort of out of the loop for uh, 12 months, 18 months with your physician, uh, check back in with them because um, there's a lot of instances where we've had patients that uh, put off things. Uh, maybe it was a mole that looked a little suspicious or maybe they needed to get a, a, a test uh, or just their routine health care. And in that year period, I mean, they've had uh, a lot of problems. Maybe their blood pressure was really high. They just didn't know it. Maybe they developed diabetes and didn't have any symptoms. Those are all things to try to uh, do your best to to, uh, go to your physician to get checked out on because preventive medicine really is the easiest thing to do if we can prevent some of those things or catch them early. Much, much easier to treat and much less uh, adverse reactions down the road. 
I'm Dr. Jimmy Stewart. Thanks for listening to the original Southern Remedy podcast. You can get your medical question answered by sending an email to remedy at mpbonline.org. For a regular dose of medical information, subscribe to the podcast using your favorite podcasting app. The doctor is always in on the original Southern Remedy. On Southern Remedy Healthy and Fit, you get information about foods you should eat to stay in good health and tips on how to stay active. I'm Dr. Josie Bidwell, host of Southern Remedy Healthy and Fit, an associate professor of preventive medicine at the University of Mississippi Medical Center. Listen to the show every Monday at 11 or subscribe to the podcast by searching for Southern Remedy with your preferred podcasting app.